0: Uh, welcome to this week's edition of the People Progressing Podcast, and today I have an ex-athlete that went to Thunder Ridge High School. His name is Cameron Getchy, and he's an unbelievable athlete. He's one of the best athletes that I've ever seen, to be honest with you, and went on to be a Division I uh, basketball player and has had an incredible journey along being a policeman and now owning a business. So we're going to get into all of that today. So Cameron, thanks for being on why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and where you grew up and what you like to do as a kid and so forth?
1: Awesome. Hey, thanks, Coach, for having me on. Uh, that's very kind words. I appreciate it. Um, so grew up in Colorado, uh, originally born in California, but you know, moved to Colorado when I was 10. And then was in high school. Gosh, we, I went to, Thunder Ridge, well, went to Thunder Ridge my senior year. So I was at uh, Highlands Ranch for my first three years and uh, loved playing sports, everything as a kid. From five years old, I was playing uh, soccer and baseball and then found basketball probably around seventh, eighth grade. Um, Got into playing basketball and really started picking it up. Uh, Put a lot of time into playing ball and continued on playing uh, baseball and soccer and uh, met you coach playing football there at Thunder Ridge um and just enjoyed the team atmosphere, enjoyed competing. It didn't matter what the sport or the game was. I just loved um, competition. Uh, you know, I had two brothers, a sister. we competed uh, quite a bit.
0: And you were all great athletes. all your your family was great athletes and let's go back a little bit, Corey uh, Cameron, so you said that your brother's Corey, I keep doing that all the time but so let's go back a little bit. You said when you were growing up, you didn't start playing basketball until you were about 11 or 12 years old. So do do you think the other sports that you played helped you become a better better athlete and a better basketball player when you started playing basketball?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. And I could see it with the guys that I played basketball with. Um, You could see how football players moved trying to play basketball. You could see how... um, some other guys that just played basketball, when they tried to do other things, they were very um, basketball-driven movements, if that makes sense. So yeah. having multiple sports in my background was a game-changer.
0: And then your basketball journey, let's go back to, to high school. How many sports did you play your senior year?
1: Uh. Oh. What did I play senior year? I played uh, soccer and football there in the fall and then uh, basketball in the winter and got into volleyball and a little bit of baseball. I think I ended up spraining my ankle and put everything on pause uh, before I could really get back into baseball.
0: Yeah, and, and one of the reasons was is because you had already signed uh, a Division I scholarship to play basketball at that point too, right?
1: I did. I signed with the University of Utah.
0: And how was that journey going into University of Utah?
1: You know, it was an interesting journey being recruited. Uh, I started getting recruited when I was a sophomore. Um, Ohio State came in and said, hey, we want to sign you. Um, Commit to us, and you know, sophomore. I'm like, uh, I have no idea what's going on. Um, my mom went out there, spoke with the coaches, checked out the school, and ultimately we decided we'll just keep on in this process and and see what happens. And then it turned really interesting. My senior year it turned really into a business as far as the recruiting, the college scene, coaches, calls, um, letters, all that, all that craziness. Um, but narrowed it down to university of utah and a few other schools and really really was impressed with the coach there and what he had done with his program and what my goals were to get to the nba and i thought he was going to be my best opportunity to get to the nba
0: and then it didn't quite work out so you ended up uh, finishing your division one basketball career at where
1: So you're right. Uh, I left after my freshman year. I transferred and I went to the University of California, Santa Barbara, um, UCSB. It was interesting playing my first year there at Utah. And um, I wanted pretty much the opposite (laughs) for the rest of my career. I wanted, you know, I did not, I I was completely turned off of a a major division one college program and wanted a small D1 program. And, and to enjoy that life balance um, more so than, than what I had at Utah.
0: So let's, let's dive in a little bit to that too, for people to listen to what a division one athlete being, being a division one athlete and what all does that entail? Can you give us a little hint of like a daily or a weekly routine that you would have to do as a division one athlete?
1: Sure. Um, So my class schedule was made for me uh my my entire schedule was made for me it was hey here's your here's your classes here's your books um here's when you need to be in the weight room here's where you need to be for practice and if practice starts at two we expect you in the gym at 12 um coach will come down on the floor at two and get things going but you should already have at least an hour or two of working out uh and then plan on staying an hour or two after so most of my days were probably six seven hours in the gym uh another hour and a half in the weight room and then if you could squeeze class in there uh class got squeezed in there and then you really just needed to make sure that you found a time to study if the studying was important to you
0: and when you when you moved to santa barbara was that a little different atmosphere for you was it an atmosphere oh, that you enjoyed a little bit more
1: or? it was a lot different um I had to sign up for my classes. <laughs> I had to go get, I had to go get books. Um, I was, I was on scholarship still, but I thought that's what happened. And I was like, cool. So what are my classes? They're like, well, what'd you sign up for? And at that point I, I was like, I can sign up for classes. Well, <laughs> all right, cool. Um, and then talking, Hey, when do my books get dropped off? They're like, when do you go pick them up at the, at the bookstore? oh, okay, cool. Like, hey, here's your voucher. Here's how you do this. So the program was night and day different, a lot more balance. Um, we were still in the gym early, still staying late, but it wasn't near the, uh, the fear, if that makes sense. Um, it was, hey, you're in here because you want to get better and you're, you're the one driving this, um, not the program, not the coach. And from that standpoint, you had more time to study. You had more time to, to really have a life um, outside of being a basketball player.
0: And then once you were there three years, is that right? Yes. Okay. And then once that ended your, your career, your division one basketball career ended, let's go into what you did after that, the first step of your journey after your uh, college days at Santa Barbara.
1: Sure. So I had my heart set. My goal was always to play in the NBA. Um, I was tracking that way. And, and my story is no different than probably thousands of others. I got injured and the injuries start to stack up. And for me, it started to take away. Every injury started to take away a little bit of my superpower. And really, for me, the superpower was my athleticism. So I got injured pretty bad my senior year, uh, fractured my lower back herniated the discs and that was the end of my nba dreams couldn't get a tryout couldn't get a sniff and so i went overseas i played in france for a year um re-signed uh for a second year with the same club and then in the off season decided that you know what i was done it wasn't for me and it's time to move on and and do something where i felt uh I felt like I was a contributing member of society, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I, I was having a hard time sleeping. Um, really feeling useful. I felt like an entertainer. I felt like I was kind of wasting my life there in France, um, just playing ball. So I wanted to do something that that meant something to me. Uh, felt like I was contributing, and and law enforcement had always been in my head. Military had always been in my head. I wanted to go in the FBI originally and because my time overseas and and my years uh i hadn't had three years outside of college yet they recommended that i go work for a local police department and then apply um to the fbi a year or two later and so that's what i did i went and applied to uh, an agency just north of la and got into the academy gosh january of oh eight um Man, it's been a long time. So started that journey about
0: 08, yeah. So your journey was to serve. Your, your journey was to serve others and feel like you were making a difference in other people's lives, really. I mean, that's what it really was, right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, that's kind of, we're going to get into this a little bit later about your purpose and so forth. But it, now you're into, into the police department and you, you kind of had a, a really fun journey, or I don't want to say fun for you. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you had an interesting journey with that too, getting into the SWAT team and, and, and so forth. What can you tell the people about being a policeman and what, what, it, what a daily routine of that was?
1: Oh, man. Um, being a police officer is the most – Probably the most challenging job. I, I can't think of another challenging, more challenging job than being a police officer, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I had really no idea of everything, all the responsibilities um, that police officers have as far as the wide range, especially in patrol, the wide range of calls for service. So when you're working patrol, somebody calls 911 for whatever reason that 911 call is and if it's in your area or if it's in the city even in the city you're getting sent to this call and it could be anywhere from i mean the the my child is lost to a drive by shooting to a homicide to all kinds i mean you name it all kinds of crimes and then you also get sent to all the mental health <clears throat> mental health calls And most of those calls kind of overlap. So when you're having crimes being committed, there's a big overlap with mental health and you're trying to discern that. And then, I mean, you even get sent to my landlord changed the locks. Um, So you have to know a lot of landlord tenant law. You have to, I mean, the knowledge base for police officers is unlike anything else um, in really in a career it it was it was amazing to figure all that out
0: now in our country i you know i think we have a mental health crisis in our country i don't i'm not sure if we're serving mental health the way we need to serve it would you agree with that with with the observation and in the calls that you had to go on would you agree with that statement
1: without a doubt and it's only gotten worse unfortunately um i've saw you know, I I was in law enforcement for almost twelve years. Uh, I saw the shift to even. I mean, it started off bad as far as that lack of being able to to have a program designed for mental health, um, and then it got even worse towards the end of my career.
0: And is it is it something that you saw of a lot of the crimes that were committed were from people that were dealing with mental health issues?
1: Yes. Um, and, and there's a, and I want to differentiate there's true mental health issues. And then there's the drug induced mental health, um, because mm-hmm. that overlapped all day long and it's hard to discern because a lot of times the mental health is brought on by the drug abuse. Um, and so you are dealing with multiple layers of issues just in that, uh, which complicates the matters even worse.
0: So what kind of background did you have to have on that, or what kind of learning stretch did you have to have dealing with those kind of issues?
1: Well, um, I graduated with a degree in philosophy, so
0: <laughs> that kind of
1: that started, uh, started things off for me to see things a little bit different, analyze a little bit better, kind of dig in, uh, improve my thought process. But ultimately, once you're out of the academy, um, everything is learning on the job. And it's much, much like athletics. Um, How much work you want to put in away from the gym, how much work do you want to put in away from being in a patrol car will increase your ability as an athlete, as a basketball player, as a cop. So if you're only relying on getting better from the time you clock into your shift to the time you clock out, You'll get better eventually, but your learning curve will be so much greater if you're putting time in outside of that patrol car, outside of that shift. Just like if you want to get a better jumper, you're going to be in that gym outside of practice, outside of the games. And that's where you improve is that time that you're spending, that one-on-one time that you're alone in the gym, that you're putting in the work, that time that you're at home studying the books, learning law, talking to other cops, figuring stuff out, um... And that was really what helped me kind of shorten that learning curve early on in my career.
0: Yeah. It's all about work ethic and that and you develop that work ethic from being an athlete. Now we're going to jump a little bit ahead and then come back. Don't you think that also helps people in the business world, that kind of work ethic that you can't just oh, be an eight to doubt. fiver?
1: Without a doubt. Um no question. I mean, in my career right now, owning a small business, we ask, I have a restaurant. We, we tell our team members, Hey, you need to learn the menu and the quickest way for you to do it isn't on the shift. You need to learn, you need to spend some time in away from here. um, Whatever you need to do now, if you learn it real quick here, great. But if you don't, then you need to, you need to put that work in away from here.
0: Okay. Now let's go back again. Let's, let's talk a little bit about being a SWAT team member. What, What was your decision process on that becoming a SWAT team member? And is there any stories that you could share with us on some, some interesting things about being a SWAT team member?
1: Man Uh, stories for days. Wow. Uh, (laughs) So I wanted, um, I wanted to be on SWAT team from the get go. Um, I got, I was lucky. I got on uh, about 18 months, 20 months into my career, just just by luck. Um, there was a couple positions open and I had been working and tried out and got selected. Um, it was my second time trying out for the team. First time I wasn't eligible based on my time on second time, they made an exception, um, to allow me on the team. And then I ended up serving almost 10 years on the SWAT team. And it was easily the, the most fun of my career. Um, the best times that I had and, and definitely some of the worst times, um, with, with different, different calls, different things that we had to do, um, and go through. It's, it's what I wanted. I wanted to be in it's, you know, the SWAT teams, nine one, one for cops. Like we got called out when the calls were too complex, too dangerous, um, for our day-to-day patrol officers. Um, we got called out to assist other agencies on calls that were too, dangerous for them so being on the SWAT team you're really that that kind of break glass in case of emergency type of unit where you get thrown into stuff and they're just hey figure it out um can't tell you a whole lot this is what you're going to and and that's the interesting part too is is uh you know my phone for the first time um since I retired doesn't ring at two o'clock in the morning. you know, on, uh, on Christmas, on Easter, on birthdays, on it, it's, uh, my, my phone's quiet. Um, but as far as stories, man, um, I don't know. There's all kinds of stories. We, uh, we've done everything from rescuing hostages to, um, mental health issues with you know we had a nurse that had a mental health crisis and uh she ended up trying to shoot at her husband and then we got called out and she was probably the toughest lady that that we dealt with um trying to get her out of her house um I don't know I got probably about five years onto the team I was a I was assigned um, and sent to some chemical agent training. And I ended up being our chemical agent expert on top of, I was part of the entry team. So wow. that's probably where, we, uh, I didn't want to go the sniper route because I felt like that was kind of detached from the team. I wanted to be the one kicking the door, going in, having fun on that side of things and not really the, um, uh, the far out kind of reaching out and touching somebody from a distance type of type of work. Uh, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. You know, let's dive in just a little bit into your mindset of wanting to become you, uh, a SWAT team member. What Sure. you had mentioned about maybe going into the military at one point as well. What's the mindset of somebody? I mean, not everyone in this world, it's probably, 99% of us are not going to want to be a SWAT team member. So what's what, your, what's your mindset of that? Does that make sense? Is that a good question? Uh, yeah, answer?
1: no, that's a great question. It's, and, and to be a hundred percent transparent, there's probably something a little off with us that want to do that type of work. <laughs> um, but there's uh there's, there's an ego component. I, I felt like I could do that type of work that I would be, that I'm already wired for that, that, that competitiveness is, yeah. is in me that drive to excel. I wanted to be, I didn't want to just be a cop. I wanted to be on, I wanted to be the best cop. I didn't want to just be a SWAT officer. I wanted to be the best SWAT officer. Um, the same thing with basketball. I didn't want to just play ball. I wanted to be the best player. I wanted to be um, competing with the best on the best team at the top. So there's, there is that drive. Uh, sorry. I got another call coming in, in this.
0: Oh, you're good. You're good. This is awesome.
1: There we go. Um, and there's really, there's, there's absolutely a selfish component to that as well, because you're in the middle of the most dangerous situations that you have. Um, and to want to put yourself in that, you have to have the utmost confidence, Um, we were all super type A alpha males on the team and that's how we excelled was having that mindset, knowing that it didn't matter what the problem was, that we were going to solve it, that it didn't matter what the opponent was, we were going to beat them. Um, and having that mindset early on in my life, knowing I'm the best player on every floor, on every field. I'm the best cop in every situation. I'm the best SWAT officer in every, like just starting with that mindset and then knowing that you need to put the work ethic in to back up that mindset. And so everything starts in practice. Everything starts on the shooting range in the classroom, making sure that your individual skills and abilities match your, your mindset and your attitude so that really there isn't a question in your mind. Um, there wasn't a question in my mind in any SWAT call out that we weren't going to win, that we could handle it, um, because of the work that we right. put in, because because of the intense training, bleeding next to my teammate on that training field, um, spending that time dialing in your equipment, making sure everything's dialed in. You just knew you had that confidence because of the work that you put in.
0: That is so. That's so powerful what you just said because. What you just said translates to any part of life. It translates to somebody who's working in business. It translates to an athlete. It translates to a mother, it translates to a father. It's the same way that you probably attack being a father. You know, you're going to put the work in, you're going to do the things that you need to do to be the best father you can be. And that's, you know, the name of this podcast is the people progressing podcast. And that's what I want people to get out of that. That's how you progress in life is to put in the hard work. I always say that we're always, we're always going to have fear in our life. I mean, that's a natural emotion, but the way you get out of that is to outwork it. So when you're going in a call, you had said you want to be the first one in on the call. Well, the way you go be able to do that is because you put the work in, you put the time in to have the confidence in yourself that you could be the first one in and make sure it's going to be all right. And that's such a powerful thing that can translate to anybody's life. And I love what you just said there. And the other part of our podcast is talking about progressing and being in growth. And what you said, and what I, my goal is to help people find their true gifts and use those true gifts into serving others. And that's exactly what you're just talking about. Your true gift is your athletic ability. I mean, your athletic abilities was off the charts. What I haven't told people is you're six foot nine. I think that maybe you're the tallest SWAT team member in the history of SWAT team members, but you're an yeah. unbelievable athlete that played multiple sports and everything else. And you're six foot nine and you put the work in. And your gift that you have is that athletic ability. But your other gifts are your work ethic. Okay. You're wanting to be the best at all. You wanted to be the best at whatever you could be, best you could be in whatever you did. And that's a gift. And you use those gifts. To serve others by being a policeman, being a SWAT team member, going in, being the first one on the call to help somebody, to save somebody, to do those things. It's an amazing story that I want people to get and want people to understand that they have that ability as well. They have the gift of working hard. You can all work hard. You have that choice to work hard. So I just love you telling that story. What made you now want to retire and then try something new in your life?
1: Sure. Um, that's a great question. You know, as a police officer, police officer's career progresses, um, you see everything. You see the worst people on their worst day and you see the best people on their worst day. Um, you're constantly dealing with chaos. Your job is to bring calm to chaos um, first and foremost. And then As my career progressed, I got into, um, I was teaching at the academy. I was training other cops as a field training officer on top of SWAT. And then I got into detectives. I was working robbery homicide. Um, and then I promoted a few times. And then towards the end of my career, I was supervising that unit, that robbery homicide unit. Um, so everything takes a toll. Um, and it takes a physical toll. It takes a mental toll. Um, I had two knee surgeries throughout I'm getting ready to have a third uh, knee surgery from injuries <laughs> sustained during SWAT. And your physical abilities start to, to wear, your mental um, health starts to wear. And if you're not staying on top of it, it can have massive impacts on on your life, on your family life, on your kids, your wife, your spouse. So things start to take a toll. Um, And at least in my career, we had quite a few incidents that happened really in a short period of time that caused me to um, reevaluate life, reevaluate priorities. Um, We had we lost a hostage when, uh, we got called out. We went, um, uh, long story. I won't, I won't dive too much into it. Um, but ultimately we went in to save a hostage and, um, we didn't, we failed, uh, our, the suspect ended up killing the hostage before we could kill the suspect basically. And, um, uh, we lost her. So that took a toll on top of that. I had, uh, a coworker, the uh, old partner that walked into the locker room one day and decided that uh, he didn't want to live anymore. And next to me, he pulled his gun out and shot himself uh, and miraculously lived. Uh, I treated him for probably 20 minutes before uh, getting him out to an ambulance. And um, that was an interesting call. And then, uh, you know, we had the borderline mass shooting a few years ago in Thousand Oaks that had a massive impact on a lot of people in my life. Um, and you start to look at things different. You start to go, Hey, you know what? I'm having an absolute blast doing this work, but what's the impact on my family? What's the impact on my kids? Do my kids know me? Am I being that, am I, am I that father that I want to be? Am I that husband that I want to be? Am I present at home? Um, or am I not? And, that was an easy easy answer and the answer was i'm absolutely not the father i wanted to be i'm not the husband that i wanted to be i'm not the person um that i really wanted to be at the end of the day because you can compartmentalize as much as possible and i did a great job um at least i thought so of compartmentalizing things you put work into a box and you put family life uh, and home life into a box and the two never meet um until they start to meet and things bleed over. Uh, and it was really taking, taking the time to have conversations, to really decide what's important. What's, uh, what's more important in life. What do I want out of life? And to realize that I can serve and accomplish the things that I valued that were important to me, that, that, made me feel useful, I can do that in another avenue. I can do that in another way. And that was when conversations with my younger brother, with Corey, were taking place about what he was into um, and the business that he was running and saying, hey, you need to look at this. This is a great opportunity. Here's the impact that I'm having on my community, on my team. This is something that you're, you're built for. You can do this as well. And it was really at that point having that mind shift and saying, look, I would love to continue doing the work that I'm doing, but, uh, for my own physical and mental health, I need to, I need to recalibrate and, and start to look elsewhere. And that was kind of the catalyst and everything that drove me into where I'm at now.
0: Amazing. Amazing story. So let me ask you this, Cam, does, do you think, um, we don't do a good enough job in our country in supporting police officers, fire firefighters, and I'm going to throw teachers in there as well, because I, I, I lump all three of those together. We're all servants. Do you think we do a good enough job supporting them with the mental aspect of these jobs because of the stress oh, and anxiety that happens with them?
1: I, I can speak... Uh, to answer your question no and and i can speak for really for law enforcement and really for the agency that i worked at um you know i finished washing the blood off my arms i was blood up to my elbows and i'm sitting in the mirror crying trying to get everything off me and getting ready for an interview from an outside agency's major crimes to come in and make sure i'm not the one that shot um the cop that, just, that tried to kill himself. And a couple hours later, I had my supervisor at the time say, Hey, so h- how do you feel about working tonight? You think you'd be able to work or do you want to go oh home? my god! And I'm like, oh my god. uh, really? yeah, you know, I should probably go home. Um, okay, cool. We'll see you tomorrow. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I was back to work the next day. Wow. Um, you know, we went to rescue that hostage and failed. And I was back to work the next day. Wow. Uh, They say, Hey, you want to talk to, you want to talk to Dr. Blum? He's our department shrink. He works. He's, he's an amazing, amazing uh, doctor. But at the end of the day, you know, you you spend 20, 30 minutes talking to him and, and then you move on and, and that's it. And the trauma and, and it's stigma, stigmatizes, is that the right word? Yeah. Um, there's a stigma to mental health. Like, Hey, you know what? You're fine. You can do this. We had a 36 hour call out and you're fine. You're not tired. Power through. Um, you work graveyards all night and you roll right into testifying in court. And then you've got another graveyard shift and you're up for 42 hours by the time, you're actually able to go to sleep you're fine tough it out there's kind of this this culture of just power through you're fine um and you're absolutely not And, and you know that to get back to your question no um it's an absolute failure in probably in most agencies on how they they handle mental health with their officers um And it's really a shame because it's, it should be looked at and treated like any other injury. Hey, you sprained your ankle. Cool. Let's, you know, let's get you some physical therapy. Let's treat you and you'll be back. You're good to go. Cool. Um, You went through a traumatic incident. You should probably take some time to process that. Talk to somebody that can help you walk through that process. And let's make sure that that sprain, um, that strain on your, your brain, on your mental health, is taken care of so that it doesn't stack up. Right. You know, you keep playing on a sprained ankle and you re sprain it and you re sprain it. And eventually you have a catastrophic injury right. that could have been, could have been prevented. Um, and really that was the case with the officer that came in and shot himself. His mental health got to the point where he walked in and tried to kill himself. Um, should have never got there.
0: Yeah. Powerful. I mean, again, powerful. And I, I think that a lot of people in our country are dealing with that kind of stress and anxiety, maybe not to that level as a police officer, like you have had and you've explained here is It's very powerful for people to understand what a, what a police officer goes through. And, and it's, it's getting harder, you know, to be honest with you. I think it's been a, a strainful year for teachers. It's a strainful year for everyone, you know, and, and yep. what you just said is very powerful. And I hope people listen to that. Now, let's get into the journey you're on now. And I'm just going to say okay. it. Um, you're on. You are owner of a Chick-fil-A restaurant. You I am. To, yes. For your know, journey to get to be an owner of a Chick-fil-A restaurant, but what has that been like for you?
1: It's been unbelievable. Um, you know, when I was 14, I first worked at Chick-fil-A. That was my first job. And uh, wow, getting a getting a taste of the culture at that time, it was unique. It was very unique. And I knew something was different about the culture. I knew something was different about the company. Um, And then circling back, my younger brother, talking to him about the impact he's had and what he's been able to do. And it was a four-year journey for me because I originally applied, got about six months into the selection process and got told no. Um, They said, hey, we're going to move forward with other candidates. We wish you all the best. If you want to reapply in two years, you can. If not, we wish you had nothing but the best. Um, and that was an interesting point in my life as well, because I had also was trying to, I was, I was going down two different paths. I had uh, accepted a job offer with a federal um, agency and I was going to go overseas and do some things that would have been an amazing uh, opportunity and just a blast for me as an individual. But an absolute nightmare for a family, uh, to be a father, to be a husband. Cause I would have been gone. Um, and it was during that time that I did a lot of soul searching. Hey, what do I want? And ultimately conversations with my wife and she's super supportive, anything that I've wanted to do, she's been a hundred percent behind me. Um, and I made the decision, Hey, I'm going to tell this agency, thank you, but no, thank you. And let's put all our, our focus on, the Chick-fil-A route and really having that, you know, there's a, there's a work-life balance, but there's also work-life integration. And I believe what I have now is work-life integration and not so much of a balance, if that makes sense. Um, You know, the challenge as a cop was to have that balance. How much time am I spending at work versus how much time am I spending at home now? How much time am I spending at work, but also I'm in, I'm able to involve my kids. I'm able to involve my wife. Um, we're able to kind of walk this journey together where I'm not worried about the things I was worried about as a cop, as far as, is anybody going to find my address? Um, how are my kids going to be treated at school? How are the homies going to deal with me if I see them off work? Um, that doesn't come into my mind at all. And, that side of it has been very, very, um, refreshing, but the best part about it is I feel like I'm actually having an impact on individuals now and not just part of the revolving door of, um, the justice system, uh, a broken justice system, the law enforcement side of things that, you know, I feel like already in, we haven't even been open 18 months, um, almost 18 months, but I've seen team members that have worked with me and that are now in nursing school, that are now in college that wouldn't have gone to college otherwise, that I feel like I'm able to have these conversations and guide some youngsters in the right way and and have a true impact um, as opposed to just putting somebody in jail. All
0: right. And so you, you mentioned culture a little bit with uh, Chick-fil-A. What is Chick-fil-A's Culture. What would you, how would you describe
1: their culture? The best way to describe their culture is it is a people-oriented business that sells chicken. You know, that's that really is what it comes down to. It's people. It's all about relationships. All about people, and we just happen to sell chicken. Yeah, Uh, and it's it's it happens to be a great product, so that that makes it easy. Uh, But it's all about the people. Um, and the relationships and taking care of each other. You know, my vision at the restaurant is to have an impact on our team, guests, and community. And really, I created that vision in that hierarchical order for that reason, because I truly, truly 100% believe that if we take care of our team, if we take care of my employees and they take care of each other, they feel cared for, then they're absolutely going to take care of our guests. Everybody that walks through our door, that comes through our drive through, Will feel cared for by people that have been cared for, and in turn, that will have an impact on the community.
0: So awesome! I mean, that's don't you think that's what's missing in the business world a lot? In, Absolutely. In, in a lot of different business, how simple of a of a culture process is that right there?
1: Absolutely, and you know, um, I'll it, it, it's it's a difficult way to say it, but I'll say it. I haven't talked about profit. I haven't talked about money. I haven't talked about the businesses, but I also haven't talked about that to any of my team, any of my leaders. And the result is actually, we're the most profitable Chick-fil-A in California. We're like top five in the chain. Um, And so it's taking care of the business side of things by making sure my team and our people are taken care of.
0: Right. Your people want to come to work instead of have to come to work. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's, such a, it's such a great concept and simple concept of just taking care of people, empathizing with them, caring yep. for them, respecting them, and, and unbelievable. I mean, that's exactly what this podcast is about, what you just said. And that, this has been um, unbelievable today. This has been so great talking to I've you. I've enjoyed it. This. Yeah, this has been awesome. I, appreciate it. I have three questions for you. My book is called the finding the 3p's finding your purpose perspective and passion. So I ask all my guests on here, what is your purpose? What's your purpose in life? Oh man, you've said my it a purpose. lot today.
1: Sure. You know, most days I could tell you that my purpose is easy. I want to have an impact on my team. I want to have an impact on my kids if 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 I can improve my kids' skill set. And that that's wide ranging, right? You know, a small conversation, if we can improve communication, if they can understand things better. Um, The same thing with my team, the relationship that I'm trying to continue to hone and build with my wife. Um, So really my purpose on a daily basis is hopefully to improve myself and people around me, if that makes sense to make myself better and others better.
0: You want to make yourself better so you can make others better absolutely right you want to use that gift to to serve others now let's let's dive into this and it's with what you've been through in your life on the as being a police officer and so forth what's your perspective on life what's your perspective out there
1: oh man you know i've got (laughs) it is it my perspective is very very um Man, I would say it's changed over the years as I've grown, which I'm glad it has, but it's also been very unique from the standpoint of I've been the only white guy on the basketball court. You know, I played in a midnight uh, hoops league in Kansas City, and it was an adult league when I was in high school. We would drive out to Kansas City. We'd play in this thing. I'm the only white guy in the gym. Um, I've been on teams, only white guy on the team, and I've been on the law enforcement side where we had three black guys in the department. Um, I've been in just different situations. Also, I've been in the absolute worst homes. I've taken kids from parents. Um, I've been in amazing homes where one of the spouses decided that they were gonna end their life and end the other spouse's life. Um, So from a perspective, I've seen pretty much all of it. There's not a whole, (laughs) yeah, there's not a whole lot left in life as far as um, I've seen the gamut. I've seen amazing service from amazing people where you would not expect it and love. And um, I've seen that side as well. So I would say my perspective is really open as far as allow people to be who they are um, and try to help them get better in how they want to be and who they are, if that makes sense. Um, and have more grace for myself. You know, I was struggling big time. Uh, when we, I had a couple of incidents where I seriously questioned my ability, um, because I felt that fear. Yeah. And I thought, (laughs) I thought if I was truly, Uh, the tough SWAT guy that I thought I was, then I wouldn't feel that fear. And just the fact that I had that emotion, that I had that fear bothered me. Um, You know, we're getting ready to boot this door to go save this hostage. And my mind immediately went to, I don't want to be here. I want to be at home with my kids and my wife. Why am I here? Um, And it was a split second thought and it didn't stop me for a second acting I was still through that door and moving but the fact that I had that thought really really bothered me um because I had that thought only one other time in my career and it was uh man it was a run running gun basically we were in a pursuit and the guy was shooting at us as we're doing 110 120 down the freeway I had my my mp5 my it's a little submachine gun that I carry with SWAT I had that in one hand. I had one hand on the steering wheel, and I'm thinking, hey, I need to get up and end this um and and stop this. And I had that exact same thought of I'm gonna get most likely I'm gonna get shot, and I don't want to be here. I want to be at home with my wife and kids. And so for two times in my career, I felt like a coward. I felt awful, like I was a fraud for having those feelings. And it wasn't until I talked to <laughs> Dr. Blum, and he said the funniest thing that I would never expect to hear from um, a psychologist. And he looked at me and said, "said Cameron, you're you're effing crazy, man. Like, what do you mean you you feel like a coward? Like, you're you're human. Like, yeah, you should exactly. have those feelings. Like, you should not for a second feel bad about having those feelings. And matter of fact." You had those feelings and you acted anyway. So it didn't stop you. You didn't park. You didn't pull over. You didn't stop going through that door. You acted anyway. So don't feel bad. Um, and that changed my perspective on life that, that said, Hey, you know what? I should give myself a little bit more grace. I'm not perfect. I'm not the stud that I think I am. I I'm allowed to have these feelings of not wanting to be there. Um, and it doesn't make me any less of a person uh, for having that. And and that really kind of changed my perspective. It's changed the way that I raise my kids. Um, it changed the way that I interact and train other cops, but it's also tra- changed the way that I I train people at work and I talk to people. And it's like, look, you need to, if, if you're not going to give yourself the grace, then first and foremost, that's a failure, but you should allow the other people that grace as well yeah. um, for who they are. Right. So that's, uh, I mean, that's probably a long winded no, explanation. That's powerful of my
0: perspective. Because so many people need to hear that because so many people are hard on themselves. I, I said it earlier, fear is a natural emotion. We all have fear Absolutely. And, and, and to have that grace and be able to pat yourself on the back and, and do those things. So many people don't do that. The negative thoughts and the negative emotions overwhelm them and it, it's negative self-talk and so forth and it it prevents them from getting progressing it prevents them from getting to where they want to be and we'll to have that grace is that's a powerful thing for people to listen to and uh, it's just awesome and, and you also said it about you know having care for all people no matter what color their skin is or Male, female, or whatever it might be, you've learned that we're all just human beings, and that's a that's a very powerful statement as well. To have that grace for all people, no matter who Absolutely. they are, uh, just unbelievable. This is unbelievable. So let's go over your passions real quick. What's your passion? I know you probably got to get going, but what's your passion? Sure,
1: my passion, man. I, you know, my my SWAT team commander uh, said it to me, he's like, Hey man, is Chick-fil-A going to satisfy that unquenchable drive that you have for excellence? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, I said, you know, I don't know, but I am absolutely committed to finding out
0: God, and taking that risk
1: and take that risk and push yeah. forward in the, in this in this season of life. Um, and getting, to the point where I feel like I have given it everything that I have and that I've done everything that I can do and making it as successful as we can possibly be. So my, and then if there's something else that I'm passionate about that I want to, that I want to go after and there's a, a different season of my life that I'm directed towards, then I'll go for that. Yeah. So really, really my passion is just trying to excel, drive to be the best that I can be um, and see where that takes me.
0: Uh, this, this this has been uh, really, really powerful, Cam. And I, I know this is going to help people when they can, they can look at themselves and look at their lives and look in the mirror. And what I, what I, I say this all the time, uh, it's called fear regret. And I, I don't think you really have too many regrets in your life, because you've gone for it. You've always taken that risk. And you, the other thing that you've always done is you've always, I, I have a saying that says, win the process. You've always won the process in outworking everyone else. And outworking fear, outworking um, to get confidence in yourself and, and doing those things. It's an amazing story. And the journey's just really kind of just beginning. You're not that old. I mean, I'm the old. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was your coach. And, and, and yeah. to tell you how proud I am of you is an understatement. And I'm, I'm very, very, very proud of who you are as a man. And I, I know you're an unbelievable husband. I know you're an unbelievable father. I know you're an unbelievable son because you've always been that. You've always been an unbelievable teammate you've always been a selfless teammate and a selfless person and that shows in everything that you're doing now and i want people to understand that about you as well and, and take on that in their own lives um, but thank you so much for coming on today because this is this has been powerful i'm so fired up i'm ready to go attack the day even more than i was before <laughs> i got on this thing and you're going to help people progress and that's what this is about so thank you so much. I know you're a busy guy and everything, but thank you for coming on and, and being you. a part of this journey with me and, and what I'm trying to do and uh, in helping people. And you helped a ton of people today. So thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks, coach.
1: I appreciate it. You're awesome. I love what you're doing and, and uh, excited to see how far you take this as well. Thank you for the kind words.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank you for joining the People Progressing podcast today where we had Cameron Getchy on. It's a very, very powerful story. Um, I'm Joe White, and if you would need anything from me, you can get me at coachjoewhiteconsulting.com. That's my website. You can email me at coachjoewhite97 at gmail.com. I can come speak to your group, work with your group. Please get on my website, buy my book. Um, If there's anything else that you need, I'm here to help and uh, I hope you enjoyed the show today and keep progressing.